Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Good morning, Gate Church family. Thank you for welcoming us into your home today. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship and for Doug for reading today's scripture and to Pastor Mark for allowing me the opportunity to bring today's message, Open Your Eyes. Now, many years ago, uh, God gave me a vision, and in this vision, I saw a field of wheat. Now, you probably, at some time in your life, you've seen this for yourself, either in person or in a video, but that, that golden wheat field just swaying back and forth in the breeze, and, and amongst the countless heads of wheat, the Lord drew my attention to a single wheat head. It stood out among uh, the vastness of the field, and, and it was so bright, and it was so white, and it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. It was beautiful. And I was so glad that the Lord shared this vision with me. Now, I found myself in a deep gaze and wondering what this was, so I asked the Lord, you know, what does this mean? And what are you telling me? And, and what do you want me to know? And are you trying to teach me something? It's at this moment that we find ourselves that Pastor Mark's been sharing with us over the last number of weeks. And it's that 15 minutes after we pray, that 15 minutes after we've just talked with God. And, and I remember I was not hurried then, and, and I was completely taken by what God had shown me. And now, I was waiting. I was waiting to hear from him. And, and after all, why would he share something with me and then not tell me what or why? And uh, I suppose he could have shown it to me and, and then kept it a mystery, right? You know, God's got a great sense of humor. But not long after I asked, God shared with me what this meant. And, and, and these words that he spoke to me, spoke to my spirit, they still resonate with me to this day. And that was one soul at a time. In the sea of golden wheat that seemed to never end, one head of wheat stood out. And God was saying to me, this one, go to this one. See, God knows my heart. He knows me well. He knows that I desire to see all come to, to know him as their Lord and Savior so that they too can experience the life changes I have in my life, to be set free from the bondage of sin and to be restored into a right relationship with my heavenly father. He knows that about me. And he showed me the field of harvest, the many souls that need him in their lives as well. And then he showed me the one, this one. He was calling me to impact the one, one soul at a time. And that is exactly how we are called to go into the harvest. We are called to reach one soul at a time, that we invest our time, our talent, our treasure, that we invest our complete selves so that we may reach the one. Now this harvesting process, it never ceases. We are always reaching the one and then the next one and then the next one and so on. 
Now, as I began to, to dig deeper into this vision, I discovered that the version of the Bible that I normally read, which is the NIV, says uh, in John 4.35, they are ripe for harvest. And then I read in the King James Version, and it reads, for they are white already to harvest. And that is my launching pad for today's message. So let's begin by opening your Bible with me um, on your Bible app. You've got time, go get it. If it's sitting somewhere else that you're not, you can do that. Go get it. Come on, work with me here, because we're going to be in the Word a lot today. We're going to be working our way through a lot of Scripture. So I want you to have your your Bible with you or your Bible app on your phone. Please open it up. And we're going to be opening up to John chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Now, if you're there, say amen. If you're not, you can read along on the screen and cheat, but you should have your Bible with you. Okay, so we're going to be starting there. And like I said, we're going to be making several stops. You know that that car that's in front of you that says this vehicle makes, you know, many stops along the route? That's us today in the Word. We're going to be starting, stopping, starting, stopping. So let's begin at verse 4. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So Jesus was on a journey and to get where he was going, he had to go through Samaria. So take a look at this map. There really wasn't an option other than to take the most direct route, which went through Samaria. The sun at this point had reached its apex and everyone not covered would be feeling the heat and no doubt feeling thirst. In verse 7 and 8, we continue reading, A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples, they had gone on into town to buy food. Now, what did Jesus just do? He spoke to her. Now, Jesus wasn't politically correct. For if he had been, he would have known that A, a man did not engage with a woman without her husband present. And B, there is no way a Jew would ever be caught speaking to a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman. How did he engage her? By asking her a question. Jesus, he took a risk of being misunderstood, being criticized, by, by speaking with a woman, he, he, he invited the appearance of evil from those that were onlookers, looking at what was happening. Then in verse 9, we continue reading, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now before I get back to this woman's response, let's look a little bit at the history of Jews and Samaritans to put this moment in time in perspective. So going all the way back to the book of Ezra chapter four, you can read about it on your own if you wish, but the Samaritans, um, they were adversaries of Judah and the Jews looked upon Samaritans as having no place in the resurrection, no part in the resurrection. Um, They were excommunicated and uh, they, they curse Samaritans using the sacred name of God. 
Like, wow. And if that wasn't enough, if an Israelite ate anything from a Samaritan, it was as if one had eaten pig's flesh, which was a severe sin. So that puts it into perspective a little um, for me. That I w- it wasn't that they just didn't like each other. They absolutely despised each other. Uh, I would go as far to say they loathed each other. So here comes Jesus, weary from traveling, tired from walking. So he sits down, he rests, and then he asks the Samaritan, a woman Samaritan, to bring him a drink. Now, her response to Jesus was sarcastic. If I can paraphrase verse 9 to today's English, it would sound something much like this. Oh, Jew, now that you need something from a Samaritan, and me being a lowly, worthless Samaritan woman, I'm good enough for you to serve you now. Right? What just happened? That's what I would call opposition. If you saw your enemy, if you, you saw your enemy, let's pray you have none, but let's say you had one and you saw them sitting, they were exhausted and all they did was ask you for some assistance, for some water. What would you do? How would you respond? I like reading this story because uh, it demonstrates that if I desire, and I truly do, to be more like Jesus, then Jesus provides a process to follow in reaching out to those that need him in their lives. Her question to Jesus was, how can you ask me for a drink? In verse 10, we read, Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew, if you knew, if those that we encounter in our discussions with them, with if they knew of God's grace, of his everlasting love, they too could be transformed as we who are followers of Christ Jesus are and have been. Jesus' answer was direct and it provided uh, direction for her. So we need to remind ourselves as we share the gospel with those in our lives that we are not to engage into debates, to quarrel with them, but rather provide direct direction that points to Jesus as living water, that we lift the name of Jesus above all else. And he, he, and he alone is the hope that people need, but do not yet know. We continue reading in verse 11 to 12. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? It was as if she did not hear a single word of Jesus' reply. As you are sharing about the grace of God, about everlasting life and love with God, do not be discouraged if your words fall on ears that do not listen. There's a saying, I heard you, I just wasn't listening. And this is the case sometimes when we find ourselves sharing about the amazing love of God with someone and they are disengaged. They're thinking about an 
episode of Hogan's Heroes or What's for Supper or whatever else is occupying their mind. They're not listening. And then this woman, she changes the topic. How many of you have ever had that happen, right? When you're sharing God's amazing message, the gospel with someone, they change the topic. And it's not a new tactic. Uh, We see in these verses that even Jesus had to deal with those that would hijack the conversation. So she attempts to establish herself with her lineage through Jacob. Now, people, even to these days, do the same thing. They're Christian because their great-great-great-grandpappy was a preacher somewhere, or their sister's brother-in-law's second cousin is a missionary on some island, right? What we have to do is share with those that do not yet believe is something that it cannot be, we need to communicate with them that it's something that cannot be inherited or assumed uh, through generations. It is a choice that each person must make on their own. Verse 13 to 15, we continue reading. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Still missing the point. Uh, She was asking for the material water so that she could save herself some effort and the trip back to the well. How many times does someone you're sharing the gospel with simply miss your point? It's so simple to us that believe. Why can't they get it? You know, their focus is on the here and the now. We live in a now society. The drive throughs for now. The microwave is for now. The fast food is for now. And when we begin to talk about eternity, well, uh, salvation rather, it's for eternity. So it doesn't mesh where people are at. Reading on in verse 16 to 17, we read, He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. This was the turning point. It is now up to her to decide to be truthful or not. When we are sharing our faith with someone, we must bring it to a point of decision on their part. Time for them to decide to accept themselves for who they are and to accept that Jesus can dynamically change their lives. Again, do not be discouraged in the process. It is a process. And you can't force someone into making a decision, let alone it is the most important decision that they will ever make in their life. In verse 18 to 20, we read, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. See, Jesus makes a statement of truth, and the woman knows it. She is now in a vulnerable state. This man she's talking to, he knows something about her, intimate details about her. And she can either accept or decline, but she seems to be on the fence saying that she can see that Jesus is a prophet. But then, 
she attempts to catch Jesus in a religious debate about where the correct place of worship is. Just when you think you have been able to point someone to Christ, they begin to attack once again. Her statement was not in keeping with the conversation, and it moved over to a controversial subject of the day regarding where worship was to be conducted. It could be, if it were this day and age, it could be a controversial subject such as abortion or, or um, starving children or decriminalization of abusive and addictive drugs or, or legalization of prostitution. You, they'll find whatever it is to start an argument, whatever that thing is. So here's the question. How would you answer? Would you take the bait and get sidetracked and sucked into an argument? Jesus chose not to answer her question. He remained on winning the soul rather than winning the argument. And we continue reading in verse 21 to 24. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus communicated that the place had nothing to do with worship but it was the call to worship in spirit and truth because God is spirit and in truth. This is much like today as, as soon as you start sharing your faith, people's automatic response is, I used to go to church, right? Or, or I don't do the church thing or, or, or me and church, we just don't mix. Well, what we need to do is make it very clear to them that church, church is not the answer. It's not the location. It's not this church or that church or that church. We need to make it clear to people that having a relationship with Jesus, that is the answer. We then continue to read in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now, if you follow the path of this discussion between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, you can see it started out by her being sarcastic then argumentative, and now we find her acknowledging that she knows there's one coming, Messiah. The woman then conceded that she knew the one called Christ, the anointed one, was coming. What she didn't realize at that very moment was that Messiah, Christ, the anointed one, was sitting right beside her. She heard him, but she wasn't listening. Now today, many people have a faint hope that they're going to heaven. They base this on their belief that because they are, for most parts, good citizens, that they will spend eternity in heaven. And there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And people need yet to hear and listen of God's amazing grace of eternal life through his son, Jesus now, I would rather offend one person with the life-changing, eternity-saving message that only through Jesus and Him alone may they enter the gates of heaven than to please thousands by saying nothing and know otherwise without Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are hell-bound. Now, I hope that's an amen moment right there for you.
In verse 26, we continue reading, Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus declares to her that he is Messiah, the one her people knew would come. For those of us who are children of God, that have made a commitment to Jesus Christ to serve him with our lives, which is all of us who call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, we have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead within us. And we are his ambassadors wherever we go and whoever we speak to. We represent Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Are we perfect? No. (laughs) We trip. We fall. We stumble. We bruise. But it's what we do with those times that strengthen us and build our character into who God has called us to be. When someone says, I know that I'm on my way to heaven, or I I, I think I know Jesus, you know, I I saw the movie. Uh, Remember, God has you with them for that moment in time to be his ambassador. There is nothing that you can do in your own strength to lead a lost sheep to the Lord. We must allow his Holy Spirit in us for the words to speak aloud to someone or for the obedience to remain quiet in silence. But in all things, we must listen to the Holy Spirit and be obedient. In verses 27 to 30, we continue to read, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see, a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, what I find most interesting in this reading is the woman left her water jar. The entire purpose that she was at the well in the first place. She left the water jar and she went back to town and began to tell the people about what Jesus had told her. And the people came out of the town and made their way toward him. So they, the people, they came out of town, out of their comfort zones and made their way toward Jesus. It is truly by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that those in our communities will be drawn out of their comfort zones to see firsthand the life-changing power that Jesus has. Then we continue reading in verses 31 to 34. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The disciples, they were concerned for Jesus' health since they had been traveling for some time. And remember, they'd gone ahead to look for food. And to their surprise, Jesus said he already had food that they knew nothing of. And so they questioned if someone else could have brought him food, uh, doubting themselves and even doubting what Jesus had said. I want to make you aware of something if you're not already in in your faith walk, but you too will have other Christians question you once you begin to reach out to the unloved, to the ones that society wants nothing to do with, and as well to the well-off family or the successful businessmen. 
you'll be classified as a radical out on a limb, uh, a crazy Jesus freak. And that will be coming from your own brothers and sisters in Christ. But stay focused. Remain true to what God puts on your heart to reach those that yet need to hear and be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now we get to the harvest in verses 35 to 38. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. The saying that Jesus says at the start of this selection is believed to uh, have been a local proverb. Four months more and then the harvest. See, farmers with experience, they could look at their fields and know how far away harvest time was. So they could recognize the right time to bring in the crops. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples that they too should have the ability to look at people and see the right time for a spiritual harvest. When a wheat field is ready to be collected, the tips of the plants appear white. The crowd of people that was coming, assuming if they were in garments um, and headwear, possibly white for that matter, but to protect themselves from the heat of the day, they may have appeared to be a, a walking wheat field. As Jesus addressed the disciples, they, they would have seen those approaching and could have connected what he was trying to communicate to them. Now, know that the time is now. Jesus said, Open your eyes. The fields are ripe. The fields are white for harvesting. If a field is left ripe without harvesters, what happens? It rots and spoils. Without the harvesters, the fields rot away. Harvesting, it's hard work. It takes determination. It takes perseverance and dedication. In God's kingdom, the harvest is accordingly to his schedule. Some wheat matures faster than others, but all that are grown are for his will, and that not one, not one, shall perish. Thus we fulfill our function in the body and be harvesters, going and doing. Whether it be a, a few steps outside your front door or a few flights across different countries we're going and doing as we're called, led to do, to be harvesters. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, we read, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Send out. Send forth can be worded as thrust them out by force. Telling people about the wonderful Savior, our wonderful Savior, is not only a blessing and a privilege, it's our responsibility. Let's return back to John chapter 4, back at verse 39, and we're going to read to 42. 
says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Once people encounter firsthand what Jesus has done for them and that he wants to have a personal relationship with each person, they are now in a position to step beyond believing on someone else's faith. But they can now make it their own and have their own testimony to share. Once again, going and reaching those that do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, I realize we may not all be called to be preachers, of the word. And, but if we remove the P, what remains? Reachers. We are all called to be reachers to each and every person that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. One soul at a time for God's glory. Now we need to open our eyes and see the harvest, the people as Jesus sees them with the compassion that Jesus has for them. We need to see with our eyes sinners becoming saints. Now this morning, I've been speaking about living our lives, lives that outflow the love of Christ in us out to others. Now, as Jesus spoke with the Samaritan woman, so too we are all called to get out of our comfort zones. Wherever we are on our journeys, and we need to love people with his compassion, with his love through us, with our words and our actions. Now, we've all been locked away for about a year now during this pandemic with little interaction with others. Now, do not be mistaken. Your influence as a follower of Christ is missing in many people's lives. Statistics show that during the last year, rates of anxiety, depression, substance abuse, Divorce, suicide, and others, all of these terrible things that they, the numbers have risen in our society. You, you as a follower of Christ, influence those around you. And when you're not able to be around others, they are missing Jesus in you, in their lives. And my heart's desire is that as we're able to return to something that we will eventually call normal, that we will no longer take a single day, a single moment for granted, that we will value each and every opportunity as God places others in our path, and that we invest our time, our talents, and our treasures in being an active participant in the Lord's harvest. You may have found yourself during this last year in a state of being lonely. And I get that. Me too. God designed us to be with one another. And, and I'm speaking beyond our church. Uh, indeed, we are designed to be together as a church family and equally important. We are designed to engage with those around us that do not yet confess Jesus as Lord. Now, I always like to give a challenge that accompanies the teaching. And the challenge is this, if you could touch one or two persons a day with some sort of act of kindness, an act of love through, through Christ and allowing God's love to outflow from you, 
You'd be impacting 7 to 14 people a week in a small way for the kingdom. But in God's kingdom, there's no such thing as small. And, and what if that same person uh, that you're impacting during the week is also impacted by another believer and by another believer and possibly another believer? What kind of message are they going to get about these people that call themselves Christians when all we are doing is encouraging them, loving them, demonstrating that we care. The challenge is not a program. It's not a method. It's simply reaching out to people that are hurting spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and saying an encouraging word, uh, providing a glimmer of hope that someone cares or, or meeting an ever-present need in somebody's life, showing by our words and our actions that there are people who care beyond just saying we care. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How will they discover our love? By looking from the outside, seeing how nice we all are to each other? No. By, by how well we dress on Sundays. That's got to be it. No. Oh, I know, uh, by how much we give to the church. No. They will know when God's love flows outward, an outflow from us to them in ways that speaks directly to their heart. The way we love demonstrates who we are and whose we are. As you begin to live this life of outflow, God is going to do a great work in you. You will grow in grace giving, in generosity, and your joy in the little things will be a whole new way of living. As you begin to take steps to begin living a, a new normal of outflowing love, you will find creative ways to talk to people, to reach people, to engage others. And the more you do it, the sooner it will become a lifestyle. I often say it, but, you know, less of me, more of you. Less of David, more of Jesus. And that's one way to do that. What you may consider today to be incredible coincidences, tomorrow you will realize that each is a God-appointed, God-directed opportunity for you to encounter, to take a step with Him to touch a life. So let me close today's message with a scripture that will encourage you this week as you begin to seek him for new opportunities to engage with those that cross your path. Now know this, evangelism is not something to be done when we think it's convenient and we wait for that perfect moment to happen. Evangelism is a way of life. It is the life that all Christians are called to live. It is our calling each and every one of us that confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm reading from the Message Bible uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. It says this, Make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice, that take place in kitchen and workplace and on the streets.
Remember, wherever you are, wherever you are, you are an ambassador for Christ. Let us open our eyes and see the harvest as Jesus sees with the compassion to be all reachers with the gospel. Well, let's take our two minutes now and ask the Lord what he is saying to you this morning. And secondly, how is he asking you to respond to today's message? But before we do, let's close together in prayer. Would you join me? Lord Jesus, I pray and we pray for today's message to be one that would impact our hearts and hear the call to be reachers, to be harvesters, to be active and engaged in your call and commission to take your message of amazing grace and of eternal life through you and with you. We pray that you would open our eyes widely and that we would see as you see, that our eyes would connect to our hearts and that we would be moved out of what we call comfort and take us into the places where we are able to be used as your hands, your feet, and that we would outflow your heart to those that are living in a land of hopelessness and darkness that we would be able to shine your light to bring your hope and the joy you fill us with, that unspeakable joy that words cannot express. I pray that our city will not remain the same because you have equipped us and empowered us through your Holy Spirit to be agents of change. Use us, Lord, in ways beyond our understanding or expectations. Use us that we would be bringing glory to your name that your name will be lifted high in our city, in our nation, in this world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. May your name be exalted above all names. In your name, in the name of Jesus, we pray and ask for this message to go forth and into this world to have an impact in our lives and those that would have ears to hear and listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. 
Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m. And we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.